Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast, where we learn from the smartest people in the world. I'm your host, Daniel Vadnall, a physio from Australia with more than 15 years of calisthenics experience. Meet professional calisthenics athlete Simon Imhalser. His world-class skills in freestyle are breathtaking. Being tall and heavy makes such feats even more impressive. Discover practical tips you can use right now to increase body weight strength. For the people that want to increase their body weight strength, what are your best tips that you can give? To increase its uh, weighted, for example, when people do reps, like pull-ups, dips and stuff, uh, instead of like just increasing your reps, so you do maybe like 20 dips or 30 dips, you're not going to build like this super strength. So at that point, I suggest doing weighted, uh, like with a dip belt or weight vest or something to re- reduce those reps and build like, like the maximum strength. And uh, the same is pretty much in like every exercise you do. Like when I do planche training and stuff like that, if I can hold a position for more than like 10 seconds, I try to increase like the pressure. So I want to be around like eight second holds or I do around like six to eight repetitions if it's like planche push-ups or something. Uh, so I'm always in this section where I try to build maximum strength and not be like in the higher end where I, just do reps and I build volume. Top three exercises for planche. For planche, uh, I would say planche leans, uh, planche holds with resistance band. And then I also love when I, I lay on the back on a, um, yeah, I basically lay on the back with straight arms and then I have uh, dumbbells and I do straight arm races. What hold time range are you liking most for planche? For a planche hold, it's like around eight seconds in holds. Uh, and in leans, it's a bit it's a bit longer in leans. Uh, and the reason is because when it comes to leans, my focus it's more about like just a muscle connection. Like the lean is not going to build like huge muscles for me, but it allows me to really connect like the glutes. Uh, the abs and the protraction part, shoulders, and just to be in that position. Uh, so the next time I do a like plunge attempt, my body just automatically like is directly into the right plunge position. And with the weights, how much are you using for what range? For the weights, uh, the races is 16 kg in each arm and uh, just making sure it's like completely locked arms. And uh, for them, it's around like seven reps, uh, six to seven. For everyone listening, don't start with 16 kilos on that. You will literally tear your bicep tendon off the bone. <laughs> so just start lighter. <laughs> Top three front lever exercises. Um, front lever holds with the resistance band. Um, and uh, front lever races, I also like. And those one can either be I done with um, I start off in just a dead hang and I do full races and these ones involve a bit more momentum uh, so they are a bit easier and then the other ones I do is if I use resistance band I can do races and then stop in the like front level position and then press back and then one I done a lot of like front level pull up exercises when it comes to uh, like front lever so 
I would say like front lever pull-ups with resistance bands are also like great and uh, they can also be performed like with tuck front lever or advanced tuck or something like that and um, that is also like to train the false grip so every time I do pull-up uh, exercises I try to maximize the false grip and get this connection as well. What order would you place those exercises front lever holds raises and the pull-ups? I would say pull-ups on third, uh, raises the second, and uh, the like. front lever with resistance band is number one. Um, I just, I've been doing that one for so long, and uh, it just, it's so good to be in that position in the early stage to get that connection, and then just reducing like the resistance band's help, and um, because you get a lot of time in the position from a early start and then you just slowly evolve until you actually have the full one. I really like that three-pronged approach because isometrics, we're building that specific strength in horizontal, which is everyone's end-stage goal, fantastic stuff. You can use your body weight or bands depending on the intensity, hold time you're going for. Those front lever raises are absolutely underrated in my opinion too. I think they're fantastic for getting full range of motion you're getting you can go to the top get that eccentric down through there and i found that the transfer of front lever raises goes beyond front lever so you've got that starting position where you've got to depress and retract super helpful for your weighted pull-ups great for the start of a muscle up you know people tend to struggle with getting that real power from the bottom front lever raises absolutely help that and uh, finishing with your pull-ups for just comprehensive back strength in that front lever pattern can't go wrong yeah and i do feel like when it comes to all of the, the skills like front lever and stuff you want to have a bit more strength like around it so for example some people have they prefer going into the front lever a certain way because it's easier like some people like to start from the top and lower themselves down and stuff like that and if you just train way more variety training, those things are not going to matter as much. I'd like to rewind and get your story of how you got into calisthenics as opposed to starting in the gym like, like most people do. Uh, it was actually, I, I did swimming for 12 years. And uh, after that, I started going to the gym with my dad. Uh, and we went into to these like circular gyms. So we had like a personal trainer and we were like, I don't know, 12 people. And we did one exercise, moved on. And I did that for like one year. Uh, then I started going to the gym alone. Uh, and I did like normal gym lifting for like one and a half year. And uh, then I just felt like start to get a bit boring doing the same thing. So I learned the handstand on my own. And uh, then after that, I changed gym. And that was the point, I think, where everything like just swip, like flipped because I met this personal trainer that was into calisthenics and had been doing it for a few years. And uh, he was the one like showing me how much there was in the calisthenics area. Like for me, it was only handstand and like front lever. That was all I know. And he showed me like planche. He showed me freestyle. He took me to the gym where I still train today. And uh, he showed me like these athletes doing like 360 and 540. And at the time being, it was like insane. <laughs> and um, then I started to join him. And um, 
getting more consistent with the freestyle training as well. In the gym, I started only doing calisthenics, so handstand, planche, front lever, and then repeat, and did that for a long time. And uh, now I'm stuck. <laughs> now I've been doing it for like the past six years and still enjoy it. That's great advice, and I always recommend that to everyone, is the community you involve yourself in is huge. And the fact that you were in the calisthenics culture from almost the beginning of your gym and resistance training uh, journey is huge. So as much as we can get inspiration on the internet, it's fantastic to learn from different tutorials, people on social media. It's, it's all good stuff. But I'll almost argue that even with the best information, all that stuff, if you're training alone versus if you're training in a community park or something like that, the person in the community will progress faster. Yeah, I agree. No doubt. It's just like when you're alone, it's so easy to like skip a session. It's so easy to like, it's also hard to see yourself, like your progress from your perspective. Whereas if you're training with a group and they can literally, if they're good friends to you, they literally tell you like you're doing this wrong or this is what you have to improve in. Uh, whereas those things are hard to see in yourself, especially like in young age when you start, it's like you only see the good things from training. And it's hard for you to say like, all right, my protraction is like super bad in planche or my, um, my legs are too low in front lever. Like you're just like, oh, finally got the front. Uh, whereas your friends are going to be like, no, you have to train this to get it clean. Uh, and also like if you're a group that trains, there's always going to be like always going to be a few people that are motivated, like motivation comes and goes, but there's always going to be someone that is pretty motivated and they are going to like transfer that energy to the rest of the group. So sometimes I come to training and I'm, I'm a bit tired. But then we have some people that are like, I want to do this, like this flip today, or I want to try this. And it just like spreads the energy. Uh, so I feel like every session gets pretty damn good just because we have a few people that hypes everyone up. And that's the great thing about calisthenics. You feel as if it comes from a place of genuinely wanting to help each other. I know that it's the feedback that you get if your form isn't the best or maybe your workout routine could be better. They're saying that from a place of just wanting to help you. And surrounding yourself with those type of people is just infectious. As you said, you you learn more and just that level of motivation rise is is huge. When you have also people that pushes you, uh, there's a big difference. Like if I were to write myself a program, for example, I would put like the standard a bit lower than I probably could do uh, whereas when I'm in a group and that like we come up with a program for example I have Daniel Fleafil he's sort of my coach and uh, when he tells me to do something he always like make it makes it harder than I personally would train uh, but for some reason every time he does it I, I manage to do it and after that I get like a lot of progress uh, so I think it's also good to be with people that they believe a bit higher than what you do like towards yourself um, and that just pushes your limit a bit extra. Couldn't agree more. Setting a high standard with other people doing that for you is really helpful. How about getting the balance of not going too extreme, right? You see people doing these exercises much more than you. They're stronger. They've got more experience. How do you use that motivation in a sensible way? Yeah, that's hard. Like I think one of the key points like to succeed with calisthenics is just not to get injured 
I think that's the number one thing because if you get injured, you're like you're thrown back a few years depending on like how bad it is. So overtraining is like it's super easy to do, and uh, I think that's good when like one thing is when you do with social media and you post a lot about your training, people are gonna see if you overtrain or not. But especially when you train with a group, they are also gonna be like they will see every time you train and. Uh, like if you train a lot, it's kind of obvious because then you're sore in a lot of trainings. Uh, for example, Daniel used to tell me like some trainings when I am super tired or just, you know, just having a really bad workout. He tells me like have a deload week or something just to get that energy back into the body. And like the worst thing you can do is overtrain, get injured because then it's like no one is going to win from that. So I rather rest a bit too much than train too much. I love that a lot. And what do you see as the common signs and symptoms people have when they're about to get injured? One thing is, for example, when you're training a skill and you're starting to like, like, for example, with planche, you're starting to almost get the planche. You've been training for a long time and you're just seeing results every single training. And it's almost going like too good. And at that point, it's like I put myself like a rule to myself, like when when it's going too good, the training, I also know that I have like put a lot of pressure on my body. Then it's time for me to take a deload week. I had that with, for example, one arm handstand. I did that mistake. I trained one arm handstand like a lot. And when I was getting to the point where I got like three seconds hold or maybe four seconds, I just did it more and more and more because I really wanted it. And then I got like a back pain because I overtrained it. And uh, it was just because when you start to get so much results too quick, like you forget how much time you're actually in that move. And uh, that's dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What are the biggest lessons that you've learned from getting injured, if you have had any? Yeah, I I haven't had like a big injury, which I'm really grateful for. Uh, The only thing I had is with my back, because when I do one-arm handstands, uh, I'm a a bit like banana form, uh, especially when I started, uh, and that puts a lot of pressure on the back. So now it's like I try to warm up and I focus more on the form than like getting the longest hold, for example. Um, and when it comes to injuries it's more like if i get like for example pain in the bicep or something i just skip exercises that focus the bicep and um, i I mean that's the good thing with calisthenics is that even if i get like pain in the back or something i can still train some other like there's still areas that i can train and um, i actually had one period where i got pain in front lever so I skipped front lever for like two weeks or something and I only did planche. So I got like a lot of a lot of progress in the planche even though I was injured and uh, it was still was a win-win. That's great advice because people will hear, oh, you've got to take it easy when you feel like you're getting injured, just don't work out at all. They might hear that advice, but it's refreshing and it that's the same approach I take as well, is if you feel something, you modify your training. You don't just sit on the couch for two weeks and then expect your body to get better. You might be doing some rehab exercises for the area. You change your load by doing 
variations. And I've done the same thing many times before. I mean, overloading heavy chin-ups using like 60 kilos for three sets of say eight was one of my peak loads. And just doing that over and over again, I got tons of like strain on my uh, like biceps tendon and I didn't just stop training vertical pull-ups. I just switched to a more friendly pronated grip and it didn't give me any issues. Same thing can happen time and time again. Like you look at say like a, a dip, if it's causing you issues, then you can just substitute that for another pressing exercise. It's always a, like a replacement that just, it's a, it's a bit easier, but it still activates the muscles. And um, I mean, some people also do the mistake, like if they have some, some pain, they just completely skip training the muscles. So they have like zero blood flow. Uh, which is not that good. I'd rather just do like small activations just to like rehab it. A hundred percent. It's all about getting yourself back to that capacity and it might just take a little bit down before you have to come back up again. And that's just such a basic principle we can teach everyone is that they might see yourself, Simon and me on social media doing lots of personal records and highlights and all this crazy stuff. It's not a linear upwards growth trajectory for us either. We've we've got peaks and troughs and we just take the time and patience to consistently trend upwards. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so much up and down. However, one thing that did change my, my workouts uh, and made it a bit more consistent was when I like, cut away sugar from my diet. Um, so I just tried to skip like the obvious sugars, like cookies, uh, candy, ice cream, um, sugar-free um, uh, sh- soda. Yeah, sugar-free yeah. soda. I still drink, but like try to cut away the sugar, and it just made like my progress a bit more consistent. Because before I could be like, I if I ate sugar in the like late at night, for example, the next morning when I trained, it was just super bad. And um, I felt like that it's just been more consistent when I did that. And uh, also when I took a bit more rest uh, has also changed it because before it was, I had one good session, then the next session was worse. And technically my body got a bit rest at that point because I didn't do as much because I was tired. And then the next session got really good because I sort of rested that one and then it got worse and so on. Uh, whereas when I took a bit more rest, it got more consistent. This tip is especially important for people who are beyond the beginner stage. When you're a beginner, you can train often, train really hard because you're not strong enough to stress your body a lot. Whereas as you get stronger, you're doing harder skills, lifting heavier weights with weighted calisthenics. It's a lot more fatigue. So what worked for you as a beginner isn't going to work for you as you're advanced. And I hear the same thing. I've interviewed some of the strongest people, yourself, Matthew Zlat, everyone says the same type of thing. As you get stronger, you can't have that high frequency. Rest becomes the superpower that separates people. And you also have in, in calisthenics, you don't want to, like, I, I never train to look big. I only train to like gain maximum strength and i i rather look like super small and be super strong instead of being just huge so that also means that my repetitions and sets and everything is like super low reps 
but they are it's so much pressure on the muscle because I want to build like maximum strength so I'm always in this like danger zone uh, whereas if I were to do a lot of reps like it's it's not as intense on the muscles like uh, you can do more reps if you have that low intensity whereas for me now it's just super few reps with maximum intensity so that's a danger zone and for those that are paying attention that is the secret behind simon's super strength there is he keeps his training specific he's not doing these high rep endurance sets that's a different goal that's for the people that want to set endurance prs he's trying to do freestyle to a high level and extreme skills and that involves a different approach if he wanted to build muscle he'd be using another different approach. So it's important to really get clear on your goal and then have the discipline to train in a way that ticks that box. Definitely. I see some mistakes, like especially in young age, it's it's hard to know what you want because most people in that start the gym, it's, like, it's almost always because they want to look good or look in a certain way, way. So, and of course, they're going to start building like a lot of mass which is fine in the beginning, but if you want to reach the highest potential, you really want to like every muscle that you gain should have like a purpose. And uh, therefore the training has to be pretty damn specific. What would you say for people that get overwhelmed with the amount of exercise options there are? Is it necessary to do all of these accessories and isolations and weak link exercises if you want to get stronger at certain exercises? There are, of course, going to be like some exercises that a lot of people promote and tell, will, they will tell you that it's going to work. Uh, however, for me, I feel like the, the best thing you can do for yourself is choose the exercises that you feel most connection in and that you like enjoy to train. For me, it's been like as long as I am motivated or maybe not always motivated, but as long as I enjoy like the training sessions and all that, I will get a lot of progress. So like find the workouts that you like enjoy doing and it doesn't have to be like that. These are like the best exercises. This is what you have to do to increase the fastest or something like that. Uh, I, I would recommend just choosing exercises that you enjoy doing because then you would do it over a long period of time and then you like, you guaranteedly going to get results. What are some of those exercises that you said, uh, commonly recommended or popular that you tried and just didn't feel right or you didn't enjoy like there are some um, some exercises for example in planche um, a lot of people recommend planche leans i also recommend that um, but there was back in the days a few exercises where they're just pretty damn complicated to do and uh, <laughs> i don't remember all of them but i just tried to do do the ones that are pretty easy to perform and that you feel good connection in. It doesn't have to be like this overwhelming exercise. Is Also, that is something that's hard now with social media is that some, some exercises are almost only for the views, uh, which is a bit sad. And especially for beginners, it's hard to see like which exercises are they actually training and which exercises are they actually just posting? Yeah, and I feel if it's if it's not the classics, it's not the tried and true movements. Um, if it's new and it's some groundbreaking magical secret that only one person is promoting, I don't know. 
I don't know if we've uh, not figured it out yet what the best exercises are. There was one trend actually where they had, um, I think it was from gymnastic. It was for planche where they had like a foam roller under the arms. Did you see that one? Yeah. Yeah. That one is also like (laughs) when people started doing it, like anyone could do planche. And uh, at that point, yeah, it probably gave some core strength and something, but just completely shuts away like a lot of the planche muscles that are involved. And um, yeah, those ones, are, they just look really viral. Uh, but in the end, I don't think they give that much. How is training for freestyle different from regular calisthenics? Oh, with freestyle, it's just all about the guts. Like most people, if you have the solid strength and of course the hands are, they have to get used to the freestyle so you don't rip and stuff. But if you have all that, then it's mainly just being able to send it. Uh, especially now in my, in my stage, after doing a lot of skills for a lot of years, like it's more about just giving it your all, giving it a try. Uh, and eventually like you will land it. Uh, especially with those one trick that I trained recently is the frisbee is where you do like a side flip and then you re-grab the bar that one is just after you do one attempt and you get sort of a feeling of it you just repeat it over and over again until you land and uh, some skills you can learn in literally like one or two sessions it's never going to happen with statics it's not like I gain full planche in two sessions (laughs) Seeing top freestyle athletes like yourself doing those skills is honestly breathtaking. And I can see why it's so popular on social media in competitions. For someone that sees that and it just looks impossible, but they want to know how to get started with freestyle, what would be your best recommendation? My recommendation is there. there's some skills on YouTube uh, that you can, like there's some tutorials. Uh, but I feel like in freestyle, the best thing you can do is to start from the absolute basics to learn how to swing correctly. Then after that, just learn how to do like 180 re-grab and then you just advance, like advance slowly and take all these like easier tricks to start off with just to get used to like this whole freestyle section. And move on to like the 360, then the 540, then some jump over the bar and just get like get the hang of that. And then you start training like these bigger moves. And like I said, it's it's more about just being comfortable with flying, being comfortable with like sending it. And uh, when you, after a point where you have done like double 360 and stuff like that, it's like you you got the strength to do like most of the freestyle stuff because at that point it's just mentality. How about overcoming the fear that's associated with these skills, flipping, twisting, inverting? Yeah. I feel for we did have a foam pit at our gym. Uh and at that point it's it's really good just to get this first section, like your first attempt in a foam pit area or something. Or if you have like just really good mats. So be in a position where you feel comfortable with failing. Um, and uh, like I said, after you do one attempt, your body sort of like, all right, it wasn't that bad. And then you can do it with maybe like less mats and stuff like that. 
So usually when I train for a trick, I I just stack up with as much safety as possible. I put mats around the poles and everything just to like trick myself really that it's like nothing is gonna happen even though like if I fail big time. Um, and uh, I only need one one good attempt with safety, then I can take it away and my body usually remembers the moment. Do you feel there's any difference for say younger people learning versus adults in terms of their fear response to all this stuff yeah i think so i think the earlier you like the earlier you start the easier it's gonna be to like get used to all of this and um also we have like some some young athletes they just do crazy stuff some people haven't even got into like puberty and they do flips and like 720s and just insane stuff so I definitely think that the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be to like, not be scared of flying. Now, truth be told, my freestyle calisthenics experience is very limited. I'd say the scope of what I was able to do or work on was essentially doing a muscle-up and then swinging over the top from the top of a muscle-up onto the other side of the bar. And I could say that even, even just doing that was quite scary, coming from someone that was like a late teen at the time. Um, but I can definitely feel what you said. It's that exposure therapy of once you've just overcome that hesitation, that apprehension in yourself, you've done it once. The next time you've, you've got that ability to, to send it over the top. Yeah. There's like, I enjoy freestyle so much because it's, it's so free. And I guess that's where the name comes from. But it's just a different feeling from statics. Because when when you're flying there, I, I never feel like I'm like 86 kg. It's more like I'm a feather, just just enjoying the trip. With freestyle, of course, skill, technique, coordination is very important. How much basic bodyweight strength do you recommend as a foundation before doing freestyle? I get, I would say if you can do maybe like three or four muscle ups, uh, you should. You have like the basic strength. Uh, even before that, you could start doing swings and stuff. Uh, but like you don't need a lot of strength in order to start with freestyle. Uh, mainly if you can just hold the bar and you have also like solid grip strength, uh, that's enough to start swinging. Okay. I just wanted to clarify because some people might develop way more strength than necessary, which isn't appropriate for freestyle. Or on the other side, you get people who can't do a pull-up or even like five push-ups as an example. So there's this happy middle ground with having enough so that your your body can withstand the forces as well of what freestyle involves. I also feel like that's the hardest thing about doing both statics and dynamics or statics and freestyle is that it's, it's so hard because it's two different types of bodies. Like when I... When you look at some of the best statics like athletes in the world, they usually don't do freestyle. And if you look at the best freestylers in the world, they don't do that much static. Because it's like the freestyle person, like you don't want to be huge. And you don't need to be huge. Like you need some shoulder strength, some back strength, and some grip strength, and then some mentality. Then you can do crazy stuff. And in statics, it's more like you just need like pure power. And um, to train these ones, it's uh, it's hard to combine, and it definitely takes longer time. 
Um, however, if I were to choose something, I would say start with statics and train that for a while and get some like foundation strength because the dynamic part takes like it goes way faster to learn. Uh, whereas if you're not training statics and only dynamics, it's going to be hard to catch up. For someone that is interested in combining both statics and dynamics doing the freestyle, but also having the strength moves, how do you go about training this in a week, a month, a year? What's your recommendation? I um, When I started uh, calisthenics, I only trained freestyle once per week. And... Uh, it was because at that point, everyone told me that you should focus on the statics. And um, I, I definitely understand that. And uh, so I trained clench two times per week, front lever two times per week, and uh, freestyle once. So five times per week I had the session. And uh, that I did for a few years. And uh, then when I started competing more, the things you usually fail in competition is the freestyle. It's not like I fall in a plunge or something. It's usually that I do a spin or something and I don't catch the bar. And um, so when I started competing more, I started training two times per week freestyle because I wanted to get it like more solid. And um, that, of course, that slowed down my progress in statics a bit, but it increased my performance in competition because it, the freestyle part was just way more comfortable. I like that approach because you're building the hardest part as a base to begin with, and then you're still working on those skills in the background. And then as the goals shift and your priorities change towards what you want to do, that's when you you shift and do it. I just want to steer people clear from trying to do both to a really high level, to a really high frequency. I, I don't know. What do you think? Is that is that a wise idea? It all depends on what your goal is. I would say if you want to just, in general, reach a super high level, I would say focus a bit more on the statics than on the freestyle uh, because it just, like the static part just takes so much longer time to achieve. And the freestyle, if, for example, if I were to cut off statics completely and just focus on freestyle now, I would probably train it like three times per week and make sure my hands don't rip. But if I were to do that, I would probably reach a pretty high level pretty fast. For sure. And the way we can basically look at this is your planche, your front lever, those things, they're pure strength. It's not a ton of like technique per se to do it. It's not as if someone loses their balance in a front lever, for example, but you're going to miss timing in a, in a 360 or 540, but same thing with like practicing a movement like a handstand. It's it's more of a skill. It's the coordination of your body and those require a higher frequency. So my takeaway is if, if uh, freestyle is the priority, go for a higher frequency to refine the technique of those things. Whereas if it's statics, you just get the sweet spot of how many times a week you can do it to recover and progress. Pretty much. And also, for example, if I, if I only were to train freestyle once per week, and if I had a competition, it's like, of course, you can do maybe like two or uh, maybe like one month before a competition. You can do two freestyle sessions just to get more used to it during that period. And then after competition, you go back to a like one, um, one freestyle training per week. Uh, so you can always like play around depending on like 
what do you want to achieve like at that point i i started going to competition to get more experience you get motivated you get uh, like you see people doing new stuff and then it's like you get inspired as well uh, but if you compete like too much it's just you're you're not getting that much from the competition it would be a difference maybe if it was like a lot of prize money everywhere and you could do it for a living uh, but there's like that's not the point or the reason i go to competition so like you really have to look at yourself and be like why why do i go here in the first place and uh, for me it's just like getting motivation inspiration and to take that and progress but if i'm not getting the progress that i want because i compete too much it's like then what's the point what does your current workout routine look like and what are the goals that you're striving for uh when it comes to training it i do still planche two times per week and the front lever two times and actually freestyle two times as well so i train six times per week that's like the baseline however if i feel like my body is just too tired uh, i might take one um, one static session so either front lever or planche and i will just do a like recovery workout so i do really light training or just to like re- recharge the body uh, and when it comes to goals for the moment i want to learn the maltese the super wide planche on the straight bar uh, i can do it on on p bars but on straight bar i really want it because then you can have it more in a in competitions in your flow and everything and uh, when it comes to freestyle uh, i just landed the frisbee the side flip regrab uh so at the moment i think the next thing might be the sweat 720 to start training for i did it like two years ago some attempts uh, and then then i had competitions so there was no reason for me to train the 720 if i'm not gonna do it in competition uh so i stopped uh, but now i got some time so probably we'll catch up with that one what are your personal records at the moment for front lever and planche i haven't timed it but Front lever is definitely the one I'm stronger in. I would say maybe 15 seconds. And with full planche on P bar stand, uh, it's maybe around 10, 10 something. That's crazy. And you're at what height and weight? Uh, height is 184 centimeters and the weight is 86 kg. Ooh, we're very similar. I'm 183, 85 kilos. So it's a, I salute you, Simon. It's nice to speak to a fellow heavyweight in this <laughs> Carl's Thanks game. <laughs> uh, likewise. I was going to ask you, with resistance bands, how do you like to use them? Um, I pretty much have them in like every workout. And um, I use them to find like these sweet spots when it comes to reps. Uh, reps and like time in the in the position so for example in planche when i do planche push-ups i always choose a resistance band that allows me to do like six seven repetitions and when i do planche holds i choose a resistance band that allows me to do like yeah eight to ten seconds holds and uh, the same goes in front lever and everything really and um after a while you get to the point where 
the resistance band like allows you to do way too many repetitions, I will then take away the resistance band and just do it without. Is that your preferred method for even beginners who can't hold the full posture? Do you like getting people into the position? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also like when you're beginner, beginner, you can use it for like the advanced tuck, the tuck front lever, tuck planche, yeah. uh, all these skills as well. So it, it's like, it's basically for everything just to get into the sweet spot of having the right amount of time. That can't be stressed enough because I'm certain that people that see your stuff would not believe that you're using bands in your workout. But I can guarantee behind closed doors when it's not social media, it's in actual training. All the top calisthenics athletes are probably using bands in some way just to get more volume in their training as well, as you said, to accurately do things. And the thing is that for like, I, I can do, for example, front lever pull-ups. I can do maybe like two or three of them clean and that's enough for me to have it in competition. But for me to gain from it when I train it, I have to get the reps up a bit. So that's why I always use resistance bands when I train. Even though I know how to do a scale, I need more time to actually get some benefits from it. And it's also you're trying to do this specific exercise in a specific posture with a certain joint angle. Using bands allows you to do that in the full position so there is definitely some like transfer over more so with that setup yeah definitely and you can also like choose where you want to position the band in order to target like different muscles a bit more uh so like when i started calisthenics i did the mistake that i always put the band uh, on the feet uh and that like that took away a lot of like the core strength and everything so i, I got super strong shoulders but my planche was like, I leaned so much because I had zero core strength. Uh, and then I started putting the resistance band like pretty much where the belly is. And uh, at that point, it just connected the hips way more. And I, I got a way better form. And I also recommend people making note of the band setup. So exactly what you said. In your training program, you write down that you're using a certain color band what height is it anchored on so you can remember how much tension the band is also giving and then just note where it is on your body those those three things you have consistent training variables to go from with lifting weights you use the weight as a measurement of progressive overload with calisthenics we should do the same we shouldn't just randomly go in and do stuff having that gives you motivation because as you said earlier, Simon, you're not going to wake up after two days and do a full planche without a band. So we need to see that over time, oh, look, we, we started with a really thick band and now we're on a, a thin band. It's, it's not the full thing, but it's, it's motivation along the way. And I also think like for beginners, like from me especially, it's like you have to accept that it's going to take some time to learn these skills. However, like, like what else are you going to do with the time? If you're in the gym and just hitting the gyms, yeah, you're going to get some, you're going to get some good like levels and like good weights. But if you spend like, to be honest, two or three years in calisthenics, it sounds like a lot of time, but it goes real quick. And at that point, you will have like achieved a lot of skills. And uh, to be honest, my strength transform a lot into weights as well. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm super bored, it's not been for a while now, but last year there were a few like weeks where I was just 
a bit tired of training, I just hit the gym for a while just to like push, like get some pump and everything and just feel, feel big. And uh, if you train calisthenics, you will get a lot of strength in other areas as well. So uh, I definitely think if you're going to spend like a few years doing in calisthenics, because it's just, you get the skills and some superhuman strength. I agree wholeheartedly with that. There must be something about the body control that you get from the scapula when you're doing all these pushing and pulling, retraction, protraction, stabilizing everything, that when you go on the weights, it will be a bit unfamiliar at the start, especially if it's free weights when it moves around. But the body learns really quickly in that regard. Yeah, and it's also what I enjoy about calisthenics. It's also you can literally train it anywhere and uh, it's been like this there's never an excuse not to train like if you're always stuck with like you have like you need a gym to train um you you can't do it anywhere but for me like anywhere i go go i usually bring just a set of p bars and i can do a lot of training with that this episode is sponsored by fitness faqs become a bodyweight beast with our calisthenics workouts Use the coupon code PODCAST10 at checkout to save 10% off when shopping at fitnessfaqs.com. Don't miss this discount. Start training smarter and enjoy the gains. What's been your experience with using bands for exercises through a full range of motion? You can be in positions that you would never be able to be. I use Sometimes when I'm a bit sore in the body, I use a bit bigger resistance band to be able to do the same things. Uh, but when I'm in like when i'm pretty damn strong we're having a good day i can also use a bit stronger resistance band to try like even deeper variations or like get like a super long range of motion and um, the same goes with when i do like front lever there's i prefer putting the band up in the ceiling and then using like and then have a separate bar under uh, because then i will get like the same amount of help uh when i do the like the front level pull up or something whereas if you put the resistance band on the bar that you're doing it on you usually get a lot of help in the locked out position but when you're doing the pull up here you're barely getting nothing like no help that's smart because one of the criticisms of using bands for say dips pull-ups etc is it doesn't match the strength curve of the exercise it'll help too much when it's easy and too little when it's hard and I don't know, it's, it's, this is where the science doesn't have to match perfectly with what happens in practice because case in point, I'm working on nine degree push-ups, and we know with getting stronger, we want to use reps up to say five to six. And if we're struggling to do just one rep at a time, it's not overly productive for regular training. So I'll use bands for nine degree push-ups because it offloads my body weight and allows me to do, say, three to five rep sets. I build the skill, I build the technique with the band assist. Granted, it's not perfect with how it helps, but I'd still argue that it's giving me a net positive compared to not using it at all. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think just being in the like time under tension is so important. Because what's the alternative otherwise? If you're tired, you, you can't do a rep, you can't train. That seems like such a waste of time with weights would change the weight but with calisthenics that's the hard thing you can't just completely change a nine degree push-up because it's 
the movement. So this is where the bands, I, I feel from beginner, intermediate to advanced, if you can find a way to do it where it still challenges you, then it's going to give you a huge benefit. You can do like negatives and stuff, but you always with those, like you, you lose a bit of range of motion. Uh, but in worst case, if you don't have like a resistance band or something, negatives are also pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I, I sometimes do it with um, like straddle plunge press. It's something I try to get more consistent. And uh, always when I, when I can't do a last rep, then I jump up into a handstand and I just do as slow negative as possible just to finish it. Uh, so negatives are also a good way to like end your rep or like end your sets uh, in the, just giving that last last power you got. For sure. And negatives are really good for building that strength in reverse. But I find that if they're not used in conjunction with other stuff, whether it's in a, a session or workout week or over a training cycle, it just doesn't seem to translate fully to the full range of motion, I feel. No, exactly. It's, it gives one point of it. And for me, like I said, it, I use it to maximize my set, uh, but it's not like I only do negatives. No, um, no, no, no. I um, want to have other, other connections as well. I think doing the eccentric only training is great, but also just in your regular full range training, just respecting the eccentric of each rep is going to give you the benefits on the way down too. I feel most people just get lazy through the eccentrics, especially on the last rep. You can see the difference between someone who's really serious or a champion. Literally every single rep is purposeful. So just a small takeaway for people, just even on your last rep, don't be don't be a wuss, just, just lower down with good control. When you do face a setback or a plateau of some kind and you can't make progress what are your favorite ways for overcoming this and getting stronger if i'm feeling like i'm having some bad sessions in a row for example that is probably gonna drop down my motivation uh, i will start off by taking some some deload like one deload week for example uh, because most of the times it's just i've been training for too long too much stress on the body and i'm just not fully recovered what does and your deload week does, look like? Uh, it's exactly the same as my normal week, except that I cut all the sets in half. So I basically do the same exercises, just half half it, so less tension, uh, but still the same connection as normal. Um, and um, if one deload week doesn't work, then at that point, I just fall back on discipline, to be honest, uh, because I know that if I've done it this, like deload week, my body is back on track. At that point, it's just I just got to keep going a little bit longer and then I will like, get all the uh, progress. Uh, and usually it comes pretty fast. Uh, after one deload week, I maybe train for like one and a half week. And then at that point, I will feel like I'm back. I'm stronger than than I was before as well. How long would you stick to one type of routine in terms of duration before changing some exercises or sets and reps and stuff like that? I would say like six to eight weeks. Um, I would train pretty much the same and then I would have a deload week and then I would change stuff. Um, and um, But that's a bit give and take. Sometimes I do the same stuff and uh, I just change like the band in an exercise uh, during this week 
but if there's a major change, like if I want to add a different exercise and stuff like that, then it's usually after six weeks. Great, because I feel that most people on average that start not progressing, they might experience that after, say, three, four weeks, and they change everything. Oh, it's not working. I'll swap my exercises, change my workout split. But I feel that just a little bit more patience and using that deload, giving your body more time to get used to the exercises. Often the light is right at the end of the tunnel there and you're just giving up a bit too soon. Yeah, I agree. Like, for example, I've been doing like planche leans and stuff that I've been doing for six years. And um, I mean, like, it's hard to say what what's giving your progress, but I've been doing it for six years because I enjoy like, I enjoy the connection and um, I feel like it's giving me a lot. And uh, I mean, I've been waiting six years and still doing the same thing. Yeah. And why do we have to rush the process? I feel that just seeing steady progress should be satisfying enough. If we reframe that, we won't beat ourselves up. Oh, we're not getting the planche in 30 days or some other BS that you hear from marketing. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like when I started training, I, I had the same mentality i was like I, I just wanted to reach the front level i wanted the planche and then when i got it it was like i had i had already forgotten that that was my goal to start with because when i had reached that point it was like oh i want the front level pull up and the planche push up and then another year went and when i reached that level i had new goals and i had like i almost forgot that this is the stage that i like once dreamed about being at uh, so it's always going to be this constant progress. And as long as if you're being challenged in those low rep ranges, low hold times, and you're doing the position you are trying to aspire to, you've got to have confidence knowing that it's going to work off. It's not as if you need some other magical variation. It's it's literally just time if you're being dedicated. Yeah, that's all you need. And like, I still enjoy it. And uh, I think it's because I found like a way of training that I, I literally enjoy the majority of the workouts. So, and if you train, like I train for five to six times a week and it's just impossible not to get results if you train like that. And if you stick 100%. to the diet and get good sleep and stuff, it, it's just not possible not to get results. Yeah. I've, yeah. From that point, if you're doing all of that stuff, you're training hard, you're being consistent, it's better off looking at the major levers that you can pull, as you just mentioned, sleep, nutrition. Doing that consistently is going to make a world of difference, not adding in some secret exercise or trying to get fancy with how you adjust your workout program over time. The, the superpower is the training stimulus, the nutrition, and the sleep. On social media, I've heard you recommend doing at least five reps or five second holds in training why is this a regular recommendation uh, it's because like if you do it too short like if i just do two seconds hold it's just i don't have that time under tension and if i want to increase like my holds it's not going to be like two seconds i have to for example if that's all i can do i have to use the resistance band just to be in that position for longer um and uh, I think it's all about just pushing your body's maximum, but it has to be like during, you have to do it for a bit longer than one second. 
so if you're in it for five seconds, that's minimum and maximum is maybe like 10 seconds. And if you're in that range, you, you will get a lot of time under tension and good connection. What would be the downsides of going well beyond that, say doing 10, 15 reps or 20, 30 second holds? Yeah, at that point, you're like, you're working more towards the reps and also volume building uh, when it comes to muscles. So I would say if you're doing that, then you're probably a reps athlete and uh, not a freestyle athlete. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. How important is proximity to failure when it comes to strength training and calisthenics? I think like for me, I'm always training around like 80 to 90 percent which is pretty high Uh, but that's also because i know how my body works and that i get the right amount of rest after so if you're a beginner and you train at that level you can't be training like every single day and target the same muscles because then probably gonna get injured Uh, but if you're in that stage and you know how to control it i think that's really powerful to build like the maximum strength so now we know that we should be using lower-ish reps and holds for strength. We've got to be cl- uh, training close to failure to be able to really stress our body to change. How about knowing how much total work to do, volume? Volume, I think that's the like part where you have to like look at yourself personally. For me, it's like it, it would be really hard to write a program for someone and just like okay, stick to this. Uh, like what I, what's possible to do is write a foundation and then let them train it for a while and then it's possible to adjust depending on like how the body reacts to it uh, so like the biggest difference is if someone is getting pain from something then that's probably a like that's a big warning sign that something has to change uh, and if people are getting sore uh, just a bit tired in the muscles then they're probably just not getting a like not enough rest um, so i think you just gotta look at your own workout and see like for example you can have a diary and write down after like two weeks maybe uh, how your body is feeling how you're reacting are you getting stronger and if not like look back at what you can change that's excellent advice of starting with a less is more mindset at the start of your training phase because then you can always add but taking away just starts to get really confusing especially when you're deep into a workout you don't know if it's because you're fatigued are you doing too little too much at that stage and just trying to make sense then very confusing so starting with an amount that you know for a fact is going to be really easy and then using as you said auto regulation over time with increasing sets up for six to eight weeks before taking a deload, trying to see consistent trends going upwards. Based on hearing you speak, I feel that that would be a sound way to look at things. Listening to your body seems a skill that you've cultivated over time. Do you have any tips for people for getting in tune with this and having that balance of not being too gentle on themselves but not also being too hard uh, with their training yeah uh, at that point it's uh, like I said for me I had uh, a friend Daniel that usually he writes like my my programs and we train a lot together uh, and uh, of course he pushes my limits a lot but he also always checks with me like how I feel after workouts and stuff 
And uh, if you don't have like that training partner, for example, you can, you have to look on yourself and uh, feel like, am I, you should be getting a bit tired after each workout. Uh, you don't have to sweat. Like sweating is just like fake. It's not, it doesn't mean really that you have trained hard, but you should feel like a bit, a bit tired in your body. And, uh, like try to push that limit but as soon as you're getting a bit too sore or you're feeling pain or something take a step back at that point and just like try to like try to play a bit with it uh, and uh, it's always fine to have like a rest day or a delo day uh, that's what i throw in every like every now and then if i'm too tired instead of just like cutting completely i take a delo day and uh, get back on track the next day love it one workout isn't going to give you gains but one workout can definitely break you in terms of injuries so just having that ability to refer to your training plan see if it makes sense to to take a, a session off or using your body as your guide and then just essentially having distance from yourself and treating yourself how you'd coach someone else is the advice that I often give because we often don't treat ourselves as we would if we were to recommend how to work out to someone else. We, we get excited and we want to push through, but listen to us with our words of wisdom. We've done this for so long that you'll live to fight another day if you just rest, recuperate, and then progress from there. Yeah. It's like the ego lifting. Like you got to cut that away. And um like I said, if you're striving for long-term results, it's it's more about uh, more about not getting injured. Because as long as you're training, it's like you will get results. Calisthenics specialists often skip leg day. What is your response to this type of remark on the internet? If you have a lot of legs, it's definitely gonna be more difficult to do static skills and like in general. Uh, and earlier I said that every muscle that you got on the body has to have a purpose. And um, I definitely think that in the calisthenics area, if people don't train legs because they want to reach the highest possible level in calisthenics, I don't see a, I don't see something wrong with that. Uh, the same is like with football and every other sport, like why would they build huge upper bodies if that's not gaining them? And uh, me personally i still train i i like running for example just to still have that muscle connection uh, but in general like legs is not something i focus on because it's just not gonna benefit me in anything uh within the sport yeah most definitely because it's we're, we're talking about being a specialist yeah and uh, that's the thing that people probably get wrong because it's because this is my career right now and i want to be like the highest calisthenics athlete level that I can reach but there's gonna come a day where I will probably step back from that and when I train more for health for example which is probably gonna be in a lot of years but at that point I will be training legs as well uh, because then it's more because of, like my well-being and everything uh, definitely so there's big difference and I feel most people understand what you're saying they can relate to someone specializing they have to do things that are relevant to their activity on the flip side of that haters are going to hate 
It's just when someone sees something impressive, if they're not happy with their life or they just feel like getting a buzz from putting someone else down, they'll look to something that they can pick from what someone's doing. And like you said, calisthenics athletes doing all this crazy stuff, we're not going to remark on their insane relative strength, how they're moving their body in space with supreme control. It's look at his skinny calves, look at look at his legs, why is he why is he wearing pants in that it's completely irrelevant to the topic at hand, but yeah, haters gonna hate. Yeah, it's always gonna be like that. And uh I mean of course if we were just looking at like I had someone wrote to me about just like about legs and all that and I told them like I'm not training to be like a bodybuilder or something like that. And um it's hard for people because I think they they want to see themselves do some things and um, also or when they see people at super high level, it's like they really want to point at things that are bad. I don't I don't know why that's the key, uh, but just when it comes to legs, I've also I usually don't respond to people in a bad way uh, because like this I I don't gain anything from it. Uh, but I, I totally understand them. Like, yeah, I probably have a unproportionally small legs compared to my upper body. Uh, but for me, it's like, yeah, I, I made that decision because I want to focus on this sport. And uh, the only thing I got to do is wear loose fit pants and that problem is solved. <laughs> so, Do statics transfer to weighted calisthenics? I definitely think so. And um, that's, I think, also a key Keeping when you're a bigger athlete like myself, when I train static skills, it is really heavy on my body. But since I'm this big as well, when I, for example, have in pull-ups, if I have 50 kg, that's going to be like 40% of my body weight. Whereas an athlete that's 60 kg and they do pull-ups with 50 kg, that's a high percentage of their own body weight. Uh, so when it comes to transferring to weighted, I definitely think that's one of the few things that it's beneficial for big athletes. And uh, I did actually compete in uh, our nationals, one rep max. And uh, it's, it's nothing I train for, uh, but I managed to have in muscle up 30, 35 kg, I think it was. Um and uh, in pull-ups was 80 kg or chin-ups, chin-ups 80 yep. kg. And in dips, it was 125 kg. So, and all of these skills are like, I never trained for them. It's just completely transferred from my like daily training with statics and freestyle and all that. So you literally went to the competition and did the lifts for the first time. Yeah. Wow. There you go. There's the answer. Yeah. And my squat was 120 kg. So that was like the, yeah, I, I take more in dips than my squats, but at the same time, I, I never Hey, calisthenics specialists, too. we're upper body based. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. It was good for a, <laughs> a contrast. <laughs> you're strengthening the muscles involved in those exercises. Front lever, you're working your pulling muscles, planche, more of the pushing as well. So you're doing a bodyweight exercise to another bodyweight exercise. But I'm just surprised the sheer load of the transfer of that strength. Yeah. And to be honest, I do think also like I have pretty good genetics for like that type of building. 
Uh, and I also think like the combination of me doing statics is going to give me some good strength. But also in freestyle, like it's hard to forget, but I'm like 86 kg and I do things flying around. So it's a lot of momentum and stuff that I like. I, and, uh, I don't think about it, control, but I have to yeah. generate. Yeah. So, and I also think that just brings a lot of general power. And you've also got quite a impressive physique as well for doing these statics and dynamics, and they're not your traditional muscle building exercises. If I was to guess, let me know if you think this is true. I would say that it's your training volume and intensity relative to failure because you're pushing these sets 80, 90, 100%, even though they're isometrics, arguably inferior for building muscle. I think the sheer time under tension, all this stuff is contributing. Yeah, definitely. And I also think since I started, I started like gym training when I was around like 14 years old. And then I, after that, I like directly continued with calisthenics. I think that has gained also because my body, like already before puberty, I started training and like developed yes. the body just towards this. Um, so I also think that is, has been a lot. That's great advice for people that get into the stuff. They want the aesthetics. They want to build muscle, but they're also seeing these skills and static stuff. They're impressed by it. A good approach would be to spend a few years just building muscle, calorie surplus, full range of motion exercises, and then transitioning to your style of training. And they can have confidence knowing they're going to retain their physique but then have this beastly strength as well. So kind of the best of both. Yeah. And I mean, like the thing, like for example, biceps, I think a lot of calisthenics get like huge biceps yeah. just because of all the training. And um, like when it comes to core strength and abs and all that, it's also like there's so much control everywhere that just it, it builds a great physique, especially when you're in like competition mode and you're a bit lower in fat percentage like you see all the like con like context and everything all the muscles and um, of course it, it looks really good um, in regular training do you always seek to make the exercise as difficult as possible or trying to find a way to do it as efficient as possible what i mean by this is with a front lever if you want to get super efficient you can use an over grip to decrease the lever arm makes you stronger hold the exercise for longer you'd want to use this if you're going for a personal record or in a competition etc do you use the easier one in training or the the harder one what's what's your style that one depends <laughs> it also there was a theory for a while that if you train with only like shoes on for example then it, <laughs> it gets a bit harder with everything and then you take them off and uh, of course i could do that but i just I don't do it. Uh, the calisthenics cheat code, the shoes. Yeah. And to be honest, it would probably work. Like if you train with shoes for a long time, you take them off, you're probably going to feel some difference. Uh, but when it comes to training, I just usually do the things that feels most comfortable. And when it comes to competition, I always go with like the hacks. So for example, if I do front lever pull-ups in competition, I, I try to have the maximum false grip. But then as soon as I, I go into the hold, I like change. So I get as long arm, as long arm as possible to get 
uh, leverage and just a hold. How do you stay focused on the process of getting stronger without getting distracted by social media? Oh, that one is hard. I would say that since I do social media, it it takes away some, it takes away a part of my like athletic side. Like if I were to cut away social media completely and just focus on pure training, I think I would be at a higher level than I am today. However, I do feel like a lot. I I enjoy social media a lot, and I feel like my training becomes more fun when I do it because I always think about ideas how to make, for example, a plunge. How do I take a plunge and make it into a video that like not only calisthenics people want to watch, but other people as well. And just my, it's just so much more rounded. And that makes me enjoy like the workouts a lot. It makes me enjoy like the training a lot. So thereby I do it for a long time and I get good at it. How about seeing other athletes who motivate and inspire you pushing the envelope? How do you not get distracted from seeing what they're doing in their routine, their their variations or their style, etc.? Yeah, sometimes like sometimes I try a few things. Like if you see athletes, it depends on who it is as well. Like if you have these really high performance athletes and they post something, like if they post something, it's probably legit. If they are like their main focus is like the athletic side. However, if there is just a fitness influencer, for example, that posts like, oh, I just tried this, then I'm a bit more concerned because they post it for the audience and not maybe for the training side of things. Uh, but usually I, I, I like to train, like I like to try exercises that are new. And even if they are like really bad, I just try to, uh, I like to try them and then just consider like, do I want to try this again or add it to my workout? And no, then I don't do it. Or if I try something that's, I like it, I might add it for a while and see how my body reacts. Nice. For me, what I've found is helpful is looking at it as a source of future motivation because there's only so many exercises you can work on at once. And if I come across someone that's doing an exercise I want to do in the future, I'll literally save it to a collection or a favorite. And then when I tackle that goal in the future, I'll I'll go ahead and watch that again um, when it is more relevant and I can apply maybe what they've written in the post uh, when it is actually relevant to me because after a while, if you just spend time on social media, you'll see someone doing a one-arm chin-up, a one-arm handstand, a full planche, a Maltese, freestyle stuff. They're doing weighted calisthenics. Someone's got a crazy physique. Someone over here has got insane flexibility. And you're just there like, man, I'm just using bands on calisthenics. And you just, you're humbled when you're looking at everyone else's highlights as specialists. But if you choose to do those things in your training at other times, you can look back at it um, in the moment when it is relevant, which is what's helpful for me when I shift goals from strength to physique to flexibility, etc. Yeah, that's smart. Because like most people, they just post highlights. And uh, of course, especially if you're new to the game, it's, it's so hard to see. Like For me, it's like I know that if I focus on one thing, I will reach this goal. And usually when you look at, a lot of different people like someone like you said had a great physique someone has a great like athletic side with skills and so on and like 
You just got to focus on one thing at a time. How do you manage expectations from yourself and from other people? For example, when it comes to competitions, I want to go to competition only if I feel like I am ready for it. Uh, and lately it's been like the competitions I've been going to has been a bit more stressed for me because it's I feel like they are just thrown in there without me actually just like planning and feeling comfortable with going to and um that has like i think it's it's really bad for my side uh because i have high expectations on myself when i compete but if i at the same time know that i'm not really ready for it it's just it collides in the head and um i feel like that makes your performance a bit worse and uh, when it comes to like expectations from other people um I think that's something that has just gone away during the years. Like first competition I went to, uh, I was sort of an underdog. So in that sense, it, was, it wasn't it was that meant much expectations. Uh, but then in the middle, you started to gain a lot of expectations when people know who you were. You had won some competitions and all that. And then at that point, it was probably the most stressful. And then now, like the last year maybe, it's been like you're getting so used to the competition environment that you just more like you get energized from it and um, just enjoying being there. Yeah, big respect for being able to handle that pressure when you do have all those eyeballs on you because they've seen people have seen what you've done in the past either on social media or at the competitions and they know the level you're at. So having that ability to trust in yourself, trust in the process and, and show up with confidence knowing you've done the reps and just doing the best you can on the day controlling what you can control that's super admirable yeah and of course it's it's always going to be hard because like i said social media most people post highlights and uh, of course i i do too like i i post some of the better things that i have and um like and at that point when you post something on social media the circumstances are usually like top for example in my gym i have like the perfect height i got big mats and therefore i'm able to do the craziest stuff whereas in competition you always have to make a choice like is it worth going for this stuff or is it safe enough and all that and um it just uh, it's just a bit like it's something you have to take into account and most people don't that don't, doesn't compete, they don't see that. So, of course, that's sometimes a bit hard. Uh, but at the same time, I'm only competing for myself. So It's being realistic with those expectations relative to your level because you have a set of data of what you're capable of doing over the years and you know what is a goal which can push you and stretch you a little bit further. It's striving for that, doing your best you can in regular training and even on the day. If you get there, fantastic. The hard work has paid off. Great. You've got to look at that situation and move on. If you don't, you can look backwards. Surely there's something from the process that you can improve and that's what is makes it fun because if we got everything we wanted fast, if we got the planche, if we got the front lever after one workout what would it mean? It would mean nothing. So as much as these moments where we don't reach our goals or meet our expectations can sting, it's generally the biggest learning lesson that we can get. 
because otherwise we we might have achieved that goal yeah and there's like always another day i have to remind myself that i'm like only 20 years old and like one of my best friends that training she is she's 31 right now and she is still competing and she is the heavyweight world champion so i just feel like if i train for 11 more years i will be at her age and uh, it just i mean i can't imagine where i will be in that time and there's just so many competitions i will attend uh, so for me it's like always if there's a bad competition it's like it's just one out of so many that it doesn't really matter 100 percent. as long as if you keep the ego in check keep yourself humble head down work towards your goals you'll get there as you said it's the with consistency and time it's if you're not getting injured and you're staying focused you're it's going to happen it's just a matter of when what are the biggest lessons that you've learned from calisthenics that you apply everywhere in your life i would say first one is definitely discipline and uh, that one goes in hand with like getting your routines uh, for example i study full time and uh, the way that i've planned it is that every time when i end school i go directly to the gym and it just makes sure that like i get my workouts and i never have to take the decision like do i want a gym to, do i want to hit the gym today or do i want to have a rest day and of course like if you make that decision every day it's going to be easy to take more rest days than you should so just building up these routines and uh, they are of course like they go hand in hand with everything in life so if i want to learn something i just make sure that i at some point in the day i always get that part and uh, eventually you do it so many times that you will progress in it and uh, the other thing is consistency and um, this one especially in training is just as long as you do something it doesn't have to be the best exercise it doesn't have to be the fast progress one as long as you do something for a long time you will get a lot of progress and uh, that's just with everything like you do something for a long time you will achieve high levels in it fantastic really well said great conversation that we had from someone that's 20 years old world champion you've got such a good head on your shoulders simon it was really good to speak to you and get your training tips i'm sure people will have a lot of things to apply if they want to follow your stuff if they don't know where to find you where can they go uh instagram is definitely the one i'm most active on and uh, I try to answer all the DMs there as well. So if you got any questions or anything, just write me a message there. And my username is Imhausers. So awesome. All the it. best with your training and upcoming competitions. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed the Fitness FAQs podcast, leave a rating to show your support. See you next episode.